Welcome to WP Tonic episode 111. Today, we're talking about what makes a WordPress or WooCommerce website successful. And our guests today on the panel are Morton Rand Hendrickson, Scott Busimi, and Sally Getch. Now, uh, before we get to all that um, and have everybody introduce themselves, I'm going to take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Um, so first thing is we now have a dedicated page for the Blab, and that is at WP Tonic, WP slash Tonic. Hyphen. Hyphen. Oh, thank you. Yes. WP's hyphen tonic.com slash blab. And that is all the info for our blog. Uh, you can see the panel. Uh, we start every Saturday, 10 a.m., 12 noon Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, second thing is we have a YouTube channel. If you're watching this on YouTube, Please subscribe to our channel. I think we have 77 subscribers right now. If we get to 100, we can do live streaming uh, for our YouTube channel. So uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe. We'd appreciate it. And lastly, most importantly, of course, uh, on iTunes, if you're listening to us on iTunes, uh, we'd love it if you'd give us a review, preferably five stars. Uh, (laughs) That... Yeah, because people don't understand, like, uh, the, the, the reviews on iTunes, it's like the SEO. It's, that's what pushes you up in Discovery. So if you're getting value out of this and you want other people to find this, then please go ahead and, uh, you know, just give us a review on iTunes. Okay? So, awesome. So uh, let, I'm going to let the panel go ahead and introduce themselves. Uh, Morton, go ahead. Introduce yourself. Hey, I'm uh, Morton. I'm... Uh... Uh, uh, supposed to be a regular contributor on the podcast, though I never show up. <clears throat> I'm uh, in Canada. I uh, am the staff author with Lynda.com from LinkedIn, and I'm always at conferences or traveling, so that's why I'm never here. Okay, Scott. Cool. Hey, uh, I'm the founder of Luminary, a web consulting and development agency. Uh, we are a student certified Woo expert and as well the primary consultant for easy digital downloads. Uh, we're all distributed throughout the U.S. I'm also the uh, sponsor organizer for WordCamp LA, which is coming up September 10th and 11th. Cool. Sally. Hi, my name is Sally Getch. My uh, company is WP Fangirl, and, and you can find me there at doing uh, WordPress consulting and um, occasionally mouthing off about various pet peeves of mine or uh, providing tutorials on the events calendar. Sweet. Well, I'm John Locke. I run a small consultancy, the small WordPress consultancy at Sacramento called Lockdown Design. And, uh, you know, and then our, my regular co-host, Jonathan Denwood, he's in the chat room right now. So, uh, so before we get into today's main topic, there's a couple of WordPress news stories we want to talk about. Uh, the first one is the famous WordPress developer, John James Jacoby, he just recently had a 35-part tweet storm on Twitter. Uh, and basically, it was talking about uh, just kind of like leadership in WordPress community, economics. Uh, so the need for 
yeah. better financing of plugins and themes. Yes, most definitely. So, Morton, go ahead and start. What are your thoughts on this? You know, when when people like JJJ talk, we should really listen <laughs> because he's been in the community for a really long time. He's uh, one of those people who had to raise money to fund a project that's really important for the WordPress community. And uh, he's not... Uh, like There are some people in the community who drink all the Kool-Aid and then make more. Uh, he's not one of those people. He's very pragmatic about what he's talking about. And he has a good point. The, the, right now, well, he started out by saying something like, the the only valuable proposition for any WordPress company is to be acquired by Automatic. That's like, if you want to make money, that's what you have to do. And that in and of itself is fine. It's just, it's problematic because that's the only path to any kind of large success. And we need better investments. We also need people to understand that uh, you know, when you use a free plugin or a theme, there's someone sitting on the other end of that maintaining it that is doing that for free. And if they only do that, then they simply don't have any money and it's not a sustainable marketplace. I was wondering what exactly had, had prompted the uh, said tweet storm because that, that wasn't mentioned in the uh, in the article, but one, one gets the, the feeling that, you know, some, something uh, had... Uh, uh, had set him off. And, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear to anybody who's been in business at all that, you know, you have to, ha- you, you have to have revenue coming in in order to keep, uh, uh, you know, in, in order to keep working on, on anything, you know, it, it's uh, now, uh, you know, and whether that's, you know, funding of some sort. I just read another article about sort of funding uh, patterns for for you know how how free software gets uh, funded and and some of the challenges in different models. Uh, but what astonished me was just reading the comments on on this uh, on this post. And I, I wrote a very long response, which is either I forgot to press a button somewhere or it's in moderation. Um, but. Uh, it, <clears throat> You know, I was I was surprised by the strength of the negativity and somebody who just sort of casually said, oh, I hate the core team. But it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, hate? Really? You know, disagree, criticize, uh, you know, be concerned that, uh, um, uh, you know, Automatic is, is making too many acquisitions and, and controlling too much of the ecosystem, but hate? You know, why why is there anything that personal in, involved with it or involved with people's responses? Scott, what are your thoughts? I was hoping you wouldn't pick on me because I, I actually have not, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Um, I feel okay. like I saw something about this. <laughs> but, I mean, maybe maybe let there's me, viewers too. Like, the is there any way that you guys can, chat. like, Sure. Well, the there, can somebody like bring up, bring Very up the kind of what is the the gist of it all? Uh, the gist of it all is uh, what I got out of it is WordPress is not perfect, core team isn't perfect, but we're all part of this ecosystem. Uh, you know, it, there needs to be kind of a more clear direction of where it's going because it's definitely at a turning point. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and 
there needs to be a better business model for some of these plug-in and theme shops besides get acquired by automatic, uh, which mm. defi- definitely uh, that's a big problem because not everybody can be acquired. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's also a <clears throat> I, I forgot this part of it because I got caught up in the money part, but. Um, I think some of this stems from a talk that John John Blackburn did at uh, WordCamp Europe, um, where he talked about well, he talked about you know the larger perspective of WordPress and where it's going. But um, within the talk, there was there was a component that addressed the somewhat lacking leadership structures within the project, and this is something that gets brought up at different times by different people, but it's becoming really pressing now because we basically have this artificial flat structure system where a benevolent, benevolent dictator on top and then everyone else is at the same level. Well, in reality, that's not actually how it works. There's actually a pretty strong leadership structure within the community, although the people that are sitting within that leadership structure flat out refuse to admit that that is what's happening. Um, so you get this perception from the outside that there's this evil grouping that is kind of making all the decisions and it's and and they they are controlling the environment and there's also a perception that that grouping is mainly from automatic or funded by matt which is categorically false they're actually a group of people from automatic 10 up and uh what's that third one a human made is is kind of the the three companies that are funding most of those people that are sitting at the top and a bunch of random people who are not connected to anything um but I think what John wanted to do was bring more transparency to the process and also kind of ratify a better formal leadership structure, which is counter to what Matt wants. Um, and what John JJJ is talking about is that, you know, yeah, I can't that is a problem, but it still works. And if we start just uh, arbitrarily attacking the system and saying, it's broken, this sucks, we should just blow everything up. That's not going to solve anything. And there are people in the community who really want to just throw that all out and you know ban automatic from contribution because they're too involved or whatever. That, that's not going to solve anything. So yeah. I think what John is saying is, like JJJ is saying, that everyone contributes. Sometimes more, some people contribute way more and they just get more power. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, that is not necessarily a problem as long as we're all aware of it. Uh, but for this to work and for more people to contribute, we need more money in the system. That requires more people to invest in the system and actually pay the people who are doing all the hard work. And so it's a, it's not as simple as saying Matt should butt out. We should have a grander discussion about all this stuff. No, nope, definitely. I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't think that there's any flat structure anywhere that doesn't have some form of leadership, even if it's supposed to be flat. I think there's a leadership that always emerges in any, in any flat organization. Um, yeah, I mean, what happens is, you know, people see something that needs doing, they do it. People start to sort of defer to them. And, and you know, it's like before you know it, you find yourself in charge of, of, of a thing. Uh, yep. Scott, anything? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to pull my thoughts together on this. I, I, I guess it's, I, I'm so out of the loop with it. The only thing that I... Uh, kind of wish uh, there was more information about is, um, I mean, we, we, we get the, uh, the state of the word and that kind of gives a little bit of guidance. And even at WooConf, we get a little bit of information about 
um, where WooCommerce is going. Um, and, and we're seeing even the, the WooConnect feature, which kind of shows some of the different things that WooCommerce is doing on that side. Um, but when, when WooCommerce was acquired uh, by Automatic, there was kind of hints of what they were going to be doing. Um, but I feel like that, that didn't really tell us anything about where they were going or kind of a direction that we should be knowing to take. Um, <laughs> and, and I mean, even when, if you're developing an app on top of Apple or, or on top of iOS, you always take the risk that suddenly um, Apple is just going to come out with your ID exactly, right? So there's there's so many different apps that have been uh, what are called what's called Sherlocked, which is where they basically just take that idea and make it so it's part of the I, part of the uh, the operating system and it's free. That's it. Um, so that's something with WordPress too, where um, you never know if you're building on top of it, and suddenly the plans take it so it does exactly what you're doing. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so let's go on to the second story, news story. Uh, and this is kind of tangentially related in a way to the economic part of it. And that is that uh, WP Rocket, uh, you know, hit like a uh, revenue uh, milestone. And they've uh, surpassed $1 million in revenue. What are your thoughts on this, Morton? What did they do? <laughs> I'm so out of it. Sorry. Yeah, they, have a, they have a really nice uh, caching plugin that, that they actually spent some time working on on making sure that it would uh, be compatible with the server-side caching provided by people like WP Engine and, and oh, yes. SiteGround and, and so forth. And uh, yeah, I just read somebody's you know lineup of, you know, we tested a bunch of caching plugins and, you know, WP Rocket came out on top again. Um, so I'm not surprised uh, that they're doing well because they have a really good uh, product and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a purely uh, premium product. If you want to use it, you have to buy it. Uh, and, uh, you know, they have succeeded with it. And, and, you know, it w- <clears throat> there are a lot of plugins out there, both, both free and paid and a lot of competition uh, and, you're not necessarily, uh, you know, going to make a ton of sales just because you create one. Uh, but they seem to have found the uh, the ingredients for success, you know, something that there was still a need of in spite of competition, especially because like, you know, W3 total cash. Ugh. I, I could I could never do anything with that plugin except like slow my site down. Uh-huh. It, it was you know mm. you install WP Rocket and basically that's it. You know you can you can tinker with a few things. You can set it up to talk to your Cloudflare and your and your and your CDN. Um, but it, you know it pretty much just works when when you install it and uh, that's really nice. Uh. Cool. I think, uh, so I was at WordCamp Orange County talking about blogging and there was some people that were saying, um, I feel like there's already so much noise, why should I be blogging? Um, and honestly, it kind of, this this shows that even if there is a bunch of noise and in this regard, it's it's already tons of plugins that are out there, there's still opportunity to improve, right? To, to either come up with better content, come up with better plugins, to come up with better business models. Um, so it just shows that even if there's all these people that are already doing something that seems so rudimentary as um, as uh, as caching, right? Or something that all sites have installed, or a good portion of sites have installed. That you can come out with a plugin and make a million bucks. Yeah, it's a great point, Morton. Do you think that more plugins are going to go to kind of a subscription model 
in the future? I think, well, from um, um, from a GPL perspective, uh, this idea that you can sell a plugin is kind of broken, as proven by all these horrible sites that basically redistribute premium products, which, yeah. which is morally reprehensible, but still completely legal. Um, so what ends up happening is successful uh, financial ventures into things like a plugin space have to do with support or external services. And if you look at like the WP Media, the company that runs WP Rocket, um, they're also venturing into SaaS services uh, with the image optimization. Um, I think what people need to understand is uh, a plugin is not just a thing you install. It's a plugin. It's something that needs to be maintained at all times. And uh, going down the avenue of saying, you're not paying for the plugin. You're paying for the continuous support, the continuous updating. Um, and being able to sell that message properly has a tremendous impact on your success. So uh, for instance, um, I think my first truly deep uh, engagement with any plugin um, at that level was uh, Gravity Forms where you buy Gravity Forms, a Gravity Forms license, and then you can basically get into the forums and ask any question. And what, uh, what made me get it was, uh, at one point, I was trying to do something ridiculous with Gravity Forms. It was just like absurd. No one had ever done it before. It didn't really make any sense. And I went to the forum, and I said, hey, so I want to do this thing. Does anyone have an idea? And one of the Gravity Forms developers coughed up like 200 lines of code and said, here, you know, you're developer subscriber here's the code that will do what you want i don't know if anyone would ever want to do this and it's kind of weird but this is the code necessary right that's what you're paying for yep. so um once you're able to sell that message properly <clears throat> it works really well the other thing is to be able to sell that message it means you have to actually do the work you can't <laughs> simply say uh, the license gives you support and then you get and uh, then not provide uh, you know one yeah. update a year that's not gonna, uh, no one's gonna be happy about that, right? Then they're gonna let their upgrade uh, lapse. And if you look at what uh, WP Rocket is saying, uh, what is it, like a full 18% of their monthly revenue is renewals. Um, for any kind of subscription-based service, you have this funnel thinking that, you know, you get all the people at the top who are interested and then maybe buy it once, and then you have the people who continue to buy it, and then you have the people who become evangelists at the bottom. Uh, for that to work, for you to retain constant subscribership and retain the people who bought at once, you need to provide an exceptional service. And it appears that this company is doing that. There are some other companies in the, um, in the same space, sort of, that are having success with this. Um, Security is one of them, uh, where they're providing a value-added service that goes beyond simply installing a plugin. Um, and I think that's yeah. kind of where things are moving, that you're not simply selling a software package that just dumps into an application and then that's it. Uh, you are selling the actual service provided and that's where the value is. Yeah, I th you know, well, it's a big again, issue with, oh, go ahead. Well, once again, bringing up the iOS side, that's where uh, apps used to be, what, you know, $4.99, $3.99, and then now they're 99 cents or mostly free. And the same exact almost renaissance happened on that side where everyone realized, you know what, we're not going to make money off of people downloading these for free. Um, and in that case, a lot of people moved to advertising. Um, I don't see that as kind of, it's not really a good fit on this side. Yeah, um, but I think there's, 
<laughs> I, I think there's the opportunity for kind of recurring monthly value added services um, that actually make it so it's worthwhile to pay because you're actually seeing new features all the time. You're seeing um, new, uh, just uh, good support, all those different perks beyond just pr installing a plugin and being done. I think, well, Sally, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I, it, that, you know, an, a, an issue for developers everywhere, you know, no matter what you're developing, is that, you know, the hard part is not building the software. The hard part is providing the support. And I think yeah. for, for you know, a lot of people in, in WordPress, they've kind of just gotten into it. They come up with something that's useful to them. They put it out there and then, oh, my God, you know, there are all these people who want support. And then especially mm -hmm. if you've provided a free plugin that that can eat up a lot of your uh, a lot of your time and so it's mm. you know if you want your business to be successful you have to plan uh out you know how you're going to handle the support and and you know realize that that's going to take up a, a, a lot of your time and you know i remember a story about i think you know i don't know if it was red hat linux or it was it was some kind of of open source product but you know there's this very expensive enterprise plan and, so, and you know the the guy was saying to the head of the company, you know, if, you're, if, if your product is open source, why am I paying you these, you know, thousands of dollars a year? And the response was, you're paying that so that, you know, you can call me at three in the morning and say, <laughs> it's not working. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, I just want to stuck in one more thing here. The, the, um, there's a problem in open source community and the web community in general, this idea that the web is an automatic money generator. Um, you see it in all the bloggers who are like, I'm going to build a blog and stop working. It's like, yeah, it's not going to work. Uh, but you also see it in the development space where people um, want to do this commodification of anything. So they want to be able to produce a thing and then sell it a million times, right? And then not work. That's the basic idea behind it. And uh, mm -hmm. those are the people that end up you know, releasing an app and then it doesn't sell. And then they're like, oh, the app is, uh, there's too many people in the app store. The whole system sucks. I'm being screwed by whoever. And they're the people who um, erode the system because they are trying to make money, but not by selling their service and sell their, instead they're trying to sell a product. And that's where in a GPL world, that simply does not work at all because you're not selling your product. You are actively selling the time you spent building the product or the time you spend uh, servicing the product. Because anyone can take your product and either just build their own version of it, which has happened a ton of times, or they can take your product mm. and just redistribute it, and you have no way of stopping that. So it's kind of like selling canned air. You can can air and sell it, and some people will purchase it, but other people can just go, I don't actually need to buy it because I can just get it myself. Uh, so it, it requires a bit of a rethink. What, va what is valued is the service and your skill set, <clears throat> not the actual product itself. Well, and Jonathan brought up a good point in the, in the, sorry. No, 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 I don't have an objection. I mean, Jonathan brought up a good point, and I don't know if this is, if, if there even is a counter argument to it, but um, it doesn't have to be that, or it shouldn't be that everyone in the WordPress community succeeds. Mm -hmm. That's a really weird thing to say, but not every business succeeds. Um, not every idea succeeds. Um, so obviously we should be supporting everyone. We should be uh, having that in mind that we can support everyone and, and help them to achieve their goals and help them to succeed. But um, it, you can't say that everyone that learns WordPress and knows 
the codex or knows like how to program and for for WordPress should automatically succeed. Yeah, so so it's a, it's a, I mean, that's kind of like a pessimistic view of it no, all, but it's not. kind of a, a realistic view. It's realism. It's, it, yeah. Success requires work. Like you right. Well, that and, you know, I remember the first time I was going to <laughs> Business Link workshops years and years ago when, when I was first thinking about starting a business before WordPress was even born, you know, and they put out the statistics about the very large number of businesses that fail within their first two years, any mm-hmm. kind of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it mm-hmm. just, it, it, you know, it, there is there is no guarantee of success. And I think Morton is right about, uh, you know, this belief that the that the web is like a, an instant money machine is, you know, it's completely mm-hmm. false. I mean, I, I, I got into podcasting in 2005. And around the sort of 2006, 2007, there was this huge rush into podcasting because everybody thought that they were going to get rich quick. And almost all those people left because they discovered it is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's actually something that requires quite a lot of work. And if you're able to put the work into it, you will eventually see very good returns, whether it's, you know, more clients or or advertising money or or whatever it is. But that takes, you know, a huge investment. And, and, you know, if you don't want to work for your money, you're in trouble pretty much, you know, no matter what venue you're in. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm going to add one more thought uh, before we go to our break. And this is kind of a callback to the JJJ tweet storm. There is one tweet in here where he said, to make money in WordPress, you need to be likable and build products where your likability shines through, like Pippin Williamson. Yes. Being, being likable and profitable in open source means having integrity, focusing on people more than product, and hoping it pays off in the end. And, and that's exactly it. There is the cream rises to the top. Um, you could be the best developer in the world. You could have the best product in the world, but people have to like you. Um, they have to, you have to provide a good service. You have to support your product and you have to let people know about your product or you won't succeed. So um, we're going to yeah, go well, to, they are good examples of people who are doing the service part right. So, Scott. Well, and it seems so silly to, to say all of that, too, because all of that, it, it's not about WordPress. That's about business in general. That's why we buy from certain brands. That's why we, uh, you know, even if there's a, a name, you know, if, if there's a generic, we go for the name brand because we, we like what they stand for. Um, so that shows that it, almost with a WP Rocket where... If you can get the free version, maybe you still go for the paid version because you like what they stand for and you like their approach to whatever you're buying. No, agree. Uh, We're going to go ahead and go to our break, and then we're going to come back with the main topic. So we'll be back in a second. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. Okay, we're back from the break. And now we're talking the main topic, what makes a WooCommerce or e-commerce website successful? Uh, and before we went on air, Sally had a great question uh, that, that I want to pose to we'll go Scott, Morton, Sally. Um, what, what are characteristics of 
any e-commerce website that make it successful, not just WooCommerce or Shopify or BigCommerce, but what are the, the, the qualities and characteristics of a successful e-commerce site, no matter what the platform? Scott. Sure. So um, I think there's two aspects that I see as most important. Um, and attending WooConf kind of helped me to shape this a little bit more. Uh, based off of the speakers that were there, the even the WooCommerce uh, employees that were there talking. I think number one, um, Amazon is so prominent on the web and they have so many different things that you can buy. Uh, you know that you can get shipping. You know, if you have Prime, you can get things shipped in two days. It's reliable. There's all these different perks. And the number one thing that you have to do is ensure you're showing off what makes you different. Like why, why is it, and almost what we were just talking about two seconds ago about uh, having it that you show you know, your, your personality or show what you stand for. Um, that's what you have to do if you have an e-commerce store, store, just if you're selling plugins, in this case, it's selling uh, products through your e-commerce store. So it has to be that you show actually why, why somebody should support you rather than just kind of going to Amazon and finding the products instead, um, or just having a unique product that they can't get on Amazon. The second thing is uh, you have to drive traffic to the site. It sounds so basic, but I know a lot of people that will build a site, put their products on there and expect sales. Just like, you know, if you build it, they will come. And the fact of the matter is that if you don't, if you're not driving any traffic to the site, if you're not actually spending time building a newsletter, building uh, social, if you're not uh, even buying traffic, right? Like doing PPC or anything else like that, you're not going to get sales. Um, and it, it sounds kind of rudimentary, but that's that's been a, uh, a big issue with anyone that's building an e-commerce store um, is that you kind of have the expectation you build it, my product's on there, Google will find it, you know, people will start showing up, but it really just doesn't work that way. You have to start uh, start building that traffic. One thing, I mean, we can, we can kind of dig into this, but I, I really like the story of somebody at, a, at WooCon. They sell uh, wallpaper online which sounds really, really basic, right? Or something that is, is a really competitive environment. But what they would do, and I'm sorry to give away their secrets here, but they would watch um, uh, home improvement shows mm. and wait until they saw where they installed wallpaper inside somebody's home. And they would actually find that wallpaper in their catalogs for the, from their supplier and write a blog post about, hey, we have, so they, they put that product on their website and then they write a blog post and say, hey, if you're a fan of this home improvement show and notice that they had this wallpaper, we have it for sale. There and we they would are, take this blog seen post. on TV. Right, exactly. So then they would take this, they would take the blog post and not, not only would they have the blog post, which most people would stop there, right? They would take this blog post and go to Facebook fan groups of that TV show mm-hmm. and post that blog and say, hey, we found this this uh, this wallpaper, you know. Check it out. We have it on. You know, we talked about uh, this episode, and they got traffic. They said that you know he, he got like he did that one time, and he got like a, a fifteen thousand dollars sale uh, just because he posted that. So he went through the process, finding the product, putting it on site, uh, writing the blog post, posting it where it's actually going to get, get eyes, and he got the sales. So. Morton, I think uh, running an e-commerce site should be treated no differently than running a regular brick and mortar store 
in terms of marketing, uh, user research, user engagement, and all these things. And that's the part that a lot of people forget. They think that once you put something on the internet, the internet will somehow magically manage the store for you. So you know, you're on the internet, and then the next question is, why aren't people buying stuff from me? And they're not realizing, unlike <clears throat> if you had a brick and mortar store, you would get bypasser traffic. It would be a crappy way of doing business unless you were selling street space or something. But uh, at least you would get a random person drop in once in a while. If you put up a website, there will be no random visitors. You need to do something else to just start. Things like, um, what's that show called? In the States, it's called Shark Tank. Um, where they people come and pitch ideas, right? And some of them have fantastic product ideas, but they're just completely lacking the marketing acumen to be able to get people to buy the product. And and uh, when you go to their websites, you often see exactly that the website exists, but the only way you would ever find it is if you knew it existed. So you don't know that you were supposed to be searching for the product. You don't know that the product that the product exists or that this particular brand exists. So why would you ever find it? Uh, and it, it, to me, it boils down to an even more core question of what is it you're selling, and is this something that people actually want, or is this something people know they want? So you have all these um, sales stories about how you need to invent a new type of product, and then it's something people didn't know they wanted. Well. If they didn't know they wanted it, then you need to tell them first. Otherwise, they will never know they wanted it, right? And you need a platform to do that, which means social media, which means actual ad sales, which means uh, taking part in conversations and relating your product to existing things like a TV show. Uh, it means just jumping onto the current conversation and engaging with the public in a non-marketing way. So instead of standing on the top of your rooftop with a megaphone and just yelling, buy my product, you have to go into the community and talk to people. And then after setting up a social interaction with them, say, oh, by the way, we also have this product that may help you in some fashion. It's a lot of work, but you know, it can work. It's just marketing. Sally. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with both Scott and, and Morton about this. And uh, you know, I had a, uh, was brought in to help somebody with a WooCommerce store. And you know, there were a lot of Kind of technical things that that were a mess about the website, but uh, you know that was not the reason that she wasn't making sales. She had almost no traffic, and you know if you don't have if you don't have traffic, you you aren't going to make sales because by no means everyone who who comes to the store is going to make a purchase. And uh, you know, and and looking at the product descriptions, uh, they were sort of you know. Uh, cute, but they didn't actually say much about the product or have a lot of, you know, keywords in them telling you, saying what kind of product there was so that, you know, the, the likelihood of, of showing up in a Google search was also very small. And uh, so, yeah, you have to, you have to get people to your store before they can buy. And then once they are there, you have to make it easy for them to buy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's, there was a, a, another case where I was asked to do basically sort of an, an analysis on a website of sort of why the advertising campaign had failed. Well, the advertising campaign, uh, which was a, you know, print news, you know, it sent people to the homepage. There was no big like 
get my product here button or, or anything on, on the home page. You had to kind of like hunt through the menu to find it. So people weren't even getting to the purchase page. I was like, well, that would be why, you know, your, your advertising was not successful because it didn't actually send people to the product page that you were for what you were advertising. I got some thoughts on this. Um, so what everybody's saying is you could have like a very awesome e-commerce store. You could have a great product. But if no one knows about it, you're not going to get any sales. Uh, and I, I don't know how many millions of sites uh, are brand new on the Internet each day. Uh, but if you're debuting like a new e-commerce store, you can't just expect to rise to the top of Google like in one day. Uh, that's not going to happen. Um, and especially not if, if you're not doing some intense content marketing. Uh, if you have no social presence for your product, uh, if you're not doing some form of advertising to get people to notice your product, then, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little bit hard to make sales. And like what Sally said, too, make it easy for people to buy. Put some sort of, you know, when they first land on the site, it should be here's the product. Here's what it does. Here's who it's for. And here's how to buy it. Like just instantly. Because uh, otherwise you're driving traffic for no reason. Uh, so definitely the hard part is the marketing. Um, like Morton was saying, Shark Tank, a lot of people watch that. One of the most successful uh, contestants that was on Shark Tank was the Squatty Potty. Has anybody mm. heard of this? No? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, but what they did was, was very great. They made this really hilarious video uh, that was entertaining and it described what the product did, uh, the benefits of it. But, it. but it was, it went totally viral because it was such a like entertaining way to present the information that you could not forget it. Uh, so they, you know, found a way to market uh, their product. And, you know, that's what people need to be doing that they don't. They just go right back into running their business and they don't do any content marketing, any social marketing, any paid marketing. And they're like, why don't I make sales? So um, one thing that I I feel like is a do you want to finish? No, go ahead. Nope. Go ahead. One one thing that I feel like with uh, when you go to WooCommerce's website, um, you are presented with a bunch of extensions and ways that uh, you can kind of grow your site. And I think a lot of people, when they first start out, they see all of these extensions and they think that those are ways that they will increase their sales, right? Mm -hmm. So they say, oh, if I install this extension, I'm going to get more sales. If I install this one, I'm going to get more sales. But I, I, the extensions really are for sites that are already succeeding, right? So how I see it is that first you need to get the traffic, get a conversion rate, right? Even if it's a really, really crappy conversion rate of like 0.001%, right? Then you can start optimizing. Then you can start installing extensions. Then you can start uh, actually A-B testing and doing all these other different ways to increase those sales. But if you don't have that traffic, it doesn't matter how many extensions you have. You actually just wasted a bunch of money installing all those different ones. I have a lot of clients where they'll be building like a, an enterprise EDD, easy digital downloads website. And they'll, they'll say, oh, I heard that um, the social, uh, social login is something that I need to have. And I'm like, 
nobody if, if you're selling to these like business people yeah they're gonna be like look i'm gonna log in with facebook right now like that's that's not where you should be at if you're selling to the enterprise or you shouldn't expect that like suddenly your sales are going to skyrocket because they can press on the facebook button when they're checking out i think the these conversations because of just the space we're in these conversations tend to skew very heavily towards the technical that um, when, because you, you get very embroiled in the technical aspect of it when you're building your site. And then <clears throat> you start thinking that any issue is a technical issue that can be solved with some sort of plugin or some sort of code or extension or redesign or whatever. Um, and you see this in real life businesses too that, are, that have brick and mortar stores that they tend to spend a lot of money and time on tweaking the appearance of things and how things are organized. Um, but when it boils down to it, what matters is having a good product and telling it the story in the right way. So um, mm -hmm. I've, I've worked a lot with content strategy for companies uh, over the past several years. Um, and one of the things I've discovered, which is really bizarre, is you often find that companies think they know their audience, but they don't. Um, you'll often find that companies think they understand what the audience wants, but they don't. And you'll often find that companies have a product that they think is great, that no one else thinks is great. And they've invested a ton of money on that. Uh, so if you have something to sell, this is, this is what I often tell people who come to me and want uh, an e-commerce site. This is my uh, get off my lawn conversation, <laughs> which usually ends up with them not hiring me, which is basically... So you have a product. Can you show me that you have an audience for this product and that people will actually want to pay money for it? Because uh, even that level of research is often missing in the process. And if you don't have an audience or if you're not able to convince an audience that they need this product, then you simply will never sell anything. And you can build the most amazing website in the world. It won't result in anything except lots of investment in building a website. Uh, so do your research, build a good product, find your audience and, and build your website to target that specific audience. Because the reality is, if you know what your audience is and you know what your audience wants, it's very easy to find them online. I mean, uh, I did an experiment. We, um, I teach a class in the university and they were asking me, how does Facebook make money? It's, it's one of those, you know, it's an interesting question. Because like, so I go on Facebook and post cat pictures and random videos. How does that generate money for Facebook? How is it valued at like $300 billion or whatever? And I said, well, let's do an example, uh, do an experiment. So we picked one of the class, uh, one of the students, and then we said, can we figure out, do you have a friend you want to contact within the school? So she described this guy that she's good friends with, and he's on Facebook. So then we went in and we made an ad on Facebook that basically only targeted this one person. Right, because you can get that specific on the advertising of Facebook. You can say like it has to be a man between the ages of da da da, and it has to have this kind of education and live in this city and wear these types of clothes. And you can get super specific. And then we put an ad that just had a picture of her and said "call me" on it. And then two days later, he called her and he's like, "Why is your face on Facebook in the ad section? This is creepy, right?" So that's what you can do, but that requires you to know exactly who that audience is. If you know your audience, you can target ads to it, but without knowing the audience and how to appeal to them, all your money is basically better spent covering your lawn or something. Sally. Uh, yeah, this is, this is really true is, you know, do you, uh, 
do you know your uh, your audience and and you know that same uh, business link series um we heard a story about a guy who who proposed an idea for basically making uh you know houses for cats uh to to sell in in pet stores and you know the the advisor was saying well but why would i do that cuz you know my cat will happily play with any empty cardboard box uh, that i can uh, you know that I that I sit in my living room. So why should I why should I buy something? Uh, but this person knew pet owners, and you know it wasn't very long before these houses for cats started showing up in pet stores and selling, because people will buy the most ridiculously indulgent things for their for their pets, whether or not it's the pet's actual preference. <laughs> and it, you know it was an illustration of if you really know your market, you know you will succeed. And until you know them. Uh, you know, it, it's, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall, except that it's a lot more expensive to build an e-commerce site than to boil a pot of spaghetti. Yep, totally, totally agree with that. Uh, you have to know your audience in order to, you know, sell your product. And if you don't know your audience and if you can't prove that you have an audience for that product, you might, you know, be wasting a lot of time and effort. We're going to go ahead and go to our last break. We'll be back. Want to turn your WordPress website into an online speed machine? Go on over to WP Tonic. They'll set up DigitalOcean websites hosting on solid state drives. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for WP Tonic's maintenance packages. WP Tonic offers some of the very best WordPress maintenance packages on the market. So those who are serious about getting the very best platform for their WordPress sites, make sure you go on over to wp-tonic.com. Any specific things with WooCommerce that are a challenge as opposed to some of the other? Uh... Hmm. Hmm. An interesting one. Um, you know, it's actually kind of, it's interesting because for, for me, I, uh, I guess there was actually one that I built a long, long time ago. Um, but I got into WooCommerce pretty early, um, and it's really been the only one that I've dealt with beyond uh, easy to go downloads. Um, and obviously, that's more for. So I, I think one thing with WooCommerce, um, want to import more products. Uh, then I feel like there's. I mean, we use WP All Import to to import all of the products and all the different variations, but it's very rare for anyone beyond us to know how to like build that CSV, that document that actually imports into WooCommerce. So I guess now that I think about it, one issue that I actually see, um, and I don't know how other platforms handle it, but I guess the one one issue that I see with WooCommerce is uh, handling variations of products. So let's just say if you have different colored shirts and different size shirts, if you want to be able to add lacking is in variation management, um, because it's a lot of work to be able to, to do that, especially if you have, let's just say. Morton, what's your experience? I, I think <clears throat> WooCommerce is a great platform, but it's also an extremely complex platform that expects a very, very high level of technical uh, expertise from the end user. And I remember the first time I installed WooCommerce in a site just to see what it was. This is a long, long time ago. 
um, I was like, whoa, there's too many settings here. I mean, we often talk about WordPress getting too complex. WooCommerce is a whole other type of complexity that you pile on top of it. And I can imagine, you know, some some random um, uh, little business owner who's like, oh, I need to have my stuff online. And I've, I've been told that this WooCommerce is where I should go. And then they go in and look at it. The sense of overwhelmment would be horrifying, uh, simply because it's not it's not as easy as people think it is. And you know, a, a product like Easy Digital Downloads, in comparison, if you put the two side by side, you're like, whoa, these are two entirely different animals. Now, of course, WooCommerce is trying to do everything in a very grand scale, and it it does a lot of stuff, um, but. Uh, the expectation that I see from end users is that this is super easy. You click a few buttons, then you have some products up. And it's simply not that. So what I like to say to people who are interested in building an online store is, if you, if you, unless you want to be an expert at building online stores, you should really have someone do it for you and have someone simplify the process so that you do the store management and then someone else builds the application for you and sets it up and teaches you how to use it. Because it's it's not... This is way outside of what you should be doing on your own. This is the antithesis of want to build a website, want to do it yourself. When you're getting into this territory, you should not be doing it yourself. You know, I, I, it's it's my dentist analogy. You you know you can brush your teeth yourself, but crowning your teeth is not something you should you should not buy like a drill and then just go and epoxy your own teeth. It's not going to help. Scott, did you have a thought? Right, I, I think. Yeah, you know, it, it does seem so crazy that there's so many different settings, but every single e-commerce store and every single owner of a business uh, that runs an e-commerce store caused all of those settings, yeah. right? So there's a reason that there is all of those different settings because when you, I mean, when you think of building a brochure site for a client, sure, they can say, hey, I think this color should be different. I think this color should be different or, you know, the little kind of nitty gritty details in that regard. But when it comes to e-commerce and how a business works, it's really getting deep down into exactly how the business operates. If they do even show tax included or if the, the tax mm -hmm. is not included. And then you're considering that this isn't just businesses in one city, one state, one country. This is all businesses of all countries across the whole entire globe with different currencies, with different uh, tax, with different shipping. Um, so there's definitely a lot that um, that those settings are there for a reason. I think the one thing that WooCommerce has been getting into is kind of the, the setup process now kind of sets all of that in the beginning for you. So it'll ask you, hey, where are you from? Kind of what, what kind of store are you running? Um, and that'll automate it to make it a lot easier. So I think if they're able to push that further and start asking more business oriented questions during setup that change those settings, then it'll seem more like a, an onboarding process rather than having to like go through and change your settings left and right. Sally. Yeah. I mean, you know, the reason I seems exchange was invented was because WooCommerce is so complex and uh, you know, and the reason it's so complex is because there are a heck of a lot of different things that you may need to do uh, depending on your store. And uh, you know, this is a, uh, you know, this is the the trade-off that kind of happens everywhere in in this space. Is you can have a fairly simple setup process, like 
uh, you know, as, as you do with something like Shopify. Uh, and, you know, get restrictions on what you can accomplish and, and how much you can customize it to what you need. And, and, you know, or you can have a system like WooCommerce and, and WordPress where you can do pretty much anything except that you may not have the technical skill for it and, it, and it's going to take an investment of, of time and, and, and money. Um, I definitely have some thoughts on, you know, what makes WooCommerce um, challenging that, that are specific to WooCommerce. Um, it, it does try and do a lot. But uh, because it's a full-blown web application, people think it's just a plug-in. It's a full-blown application. Um, and here's some of the things that I've encountered personally. Uh, as of this last version, you kind of have to have like a current version of PHP on your hosting. And for a lot of clients, they're used to wherever they're hosting, um, a lot of the hosts are not like up to the current level. So that's the discussion that you have to have with them getting them to either switch their hosting or, you know, preferably if you have a greenfield project, you could just get them on the right type of hosting to begin with. That's preferable, Mm -hmm. but that's not always possible. So that's one right there. Uh, Two, plugins don't always play nice with each other. Uh, If you just have WooCommerce and a couple other things, it's pretty straightforward. The more and more elements that you start to introduce, the more that you have to test to make sure that everything is going to work together. Uh, here's another one. WooCommerce is awesome because it's customizable. You could definitely have different templates like override, like Scott mentioned before with the email. Um, but it, what I found is like a lot of the CSS is very hard to like override. And from time to time, like certain versions, they'll change like how they're writing that. Uh, and so you got to go back and, you know, change all that again. Uh, and sometimes templates change. You have to have a developer on hand. It's so important to have someone like Scott um, on hand to keep modifying those files because as WooCommerce evolves, those template files, if you have any override template files, you have to have a developer, like, keep those up to date where it's not... Go ahead. Yeah, the templates oh. are, are, are a big issue, and, and I'm starting to, to be of the opinion that rather than modify templates, I want to use hooks wherever I can so that WooCommerce can just up, update oh, its templates. Good point, yeah. Great point. Now, the one thing that I see is that there's some people who are getting no sales on their site because they're not driving traffic, and they then start to see all the costs associated with maintaining the site, and they start to wonder, why am I even running an e-commerce site, Right. So, or why am I even maintaining it? Why do I have to pay for it? There's all those questions of kind of like, why, why am I investing in it? Um, and I, that's one thing that I've actually been doing, and this, it's going to sound crazy talking in a, in a WooCommerce chat room, uh, but I've actually, for some people that I've, I, I know, um, and they say that they're not going to be really pushing too much in terms of the, the marketing, and they're really not going to be getting that much traffic, and they, they're kind of testing the waters. I just say to use uh, a square site and they have a, a, an e-commerce functionality. You just pop in uh, your products and right away you have a store people can buy and that's that. Um, you don't have to worry about maintaining it over time. Um, so that's one thing I, I had 
one person, they were getting maybe one sale a, a year. And when the license extensions for WooCommerce were more than they were making in revenue, even they were like, well, why, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I paying again for the WooCommerce? And I'm like, uh, like, let's just get you on square, set up your product. If you get the sales, if it starts increasing, then cool. We can look at, you know, getting you back on WooCommerce, but, um, sometimes WooCommerce isn't the solution. And I, I think that's a weird thing to end on, but, um, that's, that's like a big, if you feel like there's, uh, not going to be that much traffic and you want to just test the water, just throw it onto something that you can just put the products on there for free. I think you need to prove the necessity of uh, the validity of your sales pitch before you invest a ton of money in building your own custom solution. Uh, I, I do the same thing. I just drive people to Shopify instead because it handles all the taxes for you. Uh, that's that's kind of where I want to end my contribution to this is what people need to understand, which I don't think we are doing a very good job at communicating, is uh, running a website is relatively safe. Right? You might get hacked, but who cares? You get hacked, you fix it. Running an e-commerce site is super complicated because you are now uh, handling um, transactions. You are handling customer databases that link customers to products they're selling, no, they're buying. Um, you're handling personal information. Um, and you're generally doing things that are covered by various laws in different countries. Uh, right. So. You know, on the on the top obvious that? shelf is uh, you need to handle taxes properly, which in Canada is relatively simple because we don't have a lot of different tax system. Last time I checked, in New York State alone, there's something like <clears throat> 197 different tax jurisdictions with different rules. Uh, and uh, in the United States, it's just total chaos. If you go to Europe, you have this VAT system that is very, very complex. Um, and basically, you're selling any product online beyond your immediate vicinity. You're in a tax chaos that you need to understand properly if you're doing it. The majority of websites that I see that are popping up are not doing that properly. And it's just a matter of time before the IRS or the uh, CRA or whatever tax authority in your town is going to come down with a hammer and be like, bang, you owe us a ton of money. And, and also, you're a criminal. Um, so. If you take that off the shelf, the next level is PCI compliance. If you're handling any kind of uh, credit card transactions, you need to make sure that that's done in a secure way. Now you can hand that off to Stripe or to Square or to PayPal or whatever, but you have to actually be aware of that and that costs money. So every time you're doing a transaction, you're paying whatever service you're using money. Um, uh, I remember uh, Moneris actually has on their website, uh, or used to at least in their API um, documentation, if you are doing this on your own, please don't. Like It was literally like, do not try to do this on your own because it's super complicated and you will mess it up and we will ban you from the service if you do this on your own. Um, then below that is the privacy issue that no one talks about. And it drives me nuts because you know all these e-commerce solutions basically gloss over this if it's, as if it's not an issue. I think it's because they're mostly from the United States where this is not as much of an issue as it is elsewhere. If you have a consumer database in your system, you have to somehow divorce the information about the consumer from what they are buying. And you also are in most countries underlined, <clears throat> like you're under law that says you cannot hold the information about a consumer without holding it in such a way that it cannot be hacked. So I shouldn't be able to hack into your site and get someone's address out of that site um, because it, you're basically not 
holding their address information because they wanted to give it to you, you're requiring them to give it to you so that you can provide the product to them. So the uh, duty of care for the information they're providing you is extremely high. And in many countries, if you don't have a proper server um, and you get hacked, they can sue you or even get you jailed because you're not handling that information properly. And in addition to that, you need to divorce their information from what they're buying. Now, that doesn't make any, like, it doesn't seem dangerous if you're selling t-shirts. You know, you're like, oh, look, he bought like eight t-shirts, size medium. What does that mean, right? But if you're selling something uh, more problematic or in the eyes of the public, it could be controversial books. It could be, I don't know, sex toys. It could be something like that. If then there's an incentive for people to hack your site specifically to find out who is buying it and what they're buying. And if you have that information publicly, you will at some point run into issues. And I can see a future where suddenly law companies will start popping up all over the United States that basically build a business on suing e-commerce stores because they're not securing their data properly and just say, you know, those ads you have on TV, like, have you bought this thing? And then now we're doing a class action lawsuit. There will be something similar to that for e-commerce stores because we're not handling data properly. This is not trivial. And no. we're treating it as if it is, but it is not trivial. Now you're absolutely right. It is not trivial. Uh, it's a lot of complex things into running an e-commerce store the right way. Uh, anyway, this has been an awesome round table. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think we learned a lot. Um, so, Morton, how do people get a hold of you? On the Twitter, at Morton, because that's my name. <laughs> Scott, how do people get a hold of you? Uh, probably the best would be through our site, luminary.ws. Um, I'm also on Twitter, but my last name is complicated. So it's, it's at Scott Buscemi, S-C-O-T-T-B-U-S-C-E-M-I. Cool. Sally? Uh, I am at Sally Getch on Twitter. And, and you know, uh, if you can spell my name, you can find me anywhere. There's only one of me in all of Google. Uh, nice. And uh, my business website is WPFangirl.com. Nice. My name is John Locke. You can get a hold of me at my website, LockdownDesign.com, or follow me on Twitter, Lockdown underscore. Uh, for WP Tonic, take care. Say bye, everyone. Bye. Adios. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.